Always begin your order by saying, hi, can I get some uh, can I get in, uh, in-room dining for, you know, uh, room 217? And they say yes. And you say, could I please get a large pitcher of ice water with two glasses? And could I please get a pot of coffee? And please, could I get the $100 steak? Open with the pitcher of water. Uh, uh. Hi, Merlin. How are you doing today? How's everything? Uh, we're way up. Up. Way, we're up. We're up. Oh, we're up. How's everything way up there? And, uh, you know, wherever you go. Whatever. Yeah, you know. So you had a buzz? There was a, it was a hum, more like mm-hmm. a hum than a buzz. And mm-hmm. I don't want to get into why or whose fault it was. I do. On you, Okay, let's could do other it. People, could other people hear it or was it just you? Uh, no, no, it was everyone could hear that. <laughs> How do you know? I had other people uh, mm-hmm. come in and listen. And Colleagues? Not just my yes man, but the other ones. <laughs> That's right, Mr. Benjamin. That's <laughs> a real loud humming. <laughs> Yes, I do hear the humming sound. Yes, it's awful. Mm. What, what kind of uh, what kind of hertz? Fifty, excuse, fifty excuse hertz. Me, sorry, 50, 50, 51, whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever you got. Can you do that? Can you can you eyeball a, a earball a, a a hertz? I can eyeball. Some people can, some people can do that. They'll go. Oh, that's a that's a fifty hertz hum you got there. I think there are people who can do that, and they're they're called idiot savants. Mm, wow. That's not the politically. That's not the uh, preferred nomenclature. Preferred nomenclature. Oh, God. I, I watched so the film film much. again over the weekend, Merlin. The uh, the canonical, the primary film? The, the film, yeah. In yeah. preparation for uh, for WWDC uh, next week. Uh, in terms of feeling clean and, and ready for, for what you'll face. Does that look clean to you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does your the flight how does, flying flying? Oh God, I can't even think about the flying. <laughs> I the got special wipes, like, special wipes to wipe everything down. Can I, can I can I mention what you said a minute ago? Yeah, go for it. All right, all right. We're getting ready to uh, do our recording, and uh, uh, you said hi. I said good morning. You said I said ready when you are, and you said I, I just had to Clorox wipe the mic. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's a public facing. You know, it's a studio. People, lots of people coming and going. Mm, and you're gonna be up in, close to the outs, to the pop field. I've got your I've got your mic uh, set up and stuff ready to go. I've got the everything ready. I'm gonna box it up, and uh, it should go out to, today or tomorrow. That's so nice of you, Dan. Thank you. You're welcome. I realize I overdrive a lot. I get excited and I laugh and I, and I, I overdrive. I got to work on my mic skills. Mic this technique. Thing, this yeah. thing, the mic, my, my mic, mic, mic technique. Hi, I'm <laughs> <Hi>. mic technique. <laughs> You ever have a problem with your pop filter? <laughs> your plosives? <laughs> sibilance? Sibilance. I got a sibilance complaint recently. About this show or the other one? No, another program I do. Somebody said it was too sibilant. No, and me neither. Um, gosh, I have so little to talk to you about. I, uh, yes, yes. Uh, the plane. You know, it used to be, it used to, you know what? I See, Dan... When we talk about these things, it makes people think we want photos of things. I don't want any more photos of things. Stop sending. God bless. God bless you for your photos of bathrooms. But please, can't we all just keep these photos to ourselves? Yeah, people still sharing. Yes, but you know, it used to be. 
It used to be the hotel rooms that get me, but now oh. increasingly, I think I do still. That's always going to be there. That's going to be that's my fifty hertz home. But I still I, now I do think a lot about the planes. Now, did you see? I don't know if you saw it, Dan. Dan, did you notice that I added something in show notes that I think uh, should be brought to your attention? Oh, you know, I accidentally added something in show notes, so I better go. I do that sometimes. Check that out. <laughs> Let me look. I'm going there right now. I haven't. I don't usually prepare for this show, other than mentally. Hmm. Uh. Oh. Our, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, How to process? Uh, yeah, John Dickerson, who's who's a wonderful guy. What did you call me? Hmm. Hmm. Um. <laughs> wrote a nice piece on how to process a hotel room. That that I think. Um. Uh, you know, he, he kind of piggybacks on some ideas that I've had in the past. Yeah, really good ideas. I'm glad that you brought this up because I I had not seen yours or his. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know what? I haven't gone back and looked at my old list. Can I read I remember, it? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, mine started with, <laughs> now I'm just looking at this again. I don't know why. I told you this before, but setting aside all of the mini contagion issues related to a room that literally thousands of strangers have had fluids in, um, the first thing I do, I don't know why I do this, but I, I get really irked by extraneous stuff around the room. I find it distracting, much like George Sands' father with tinsel. I, I, I don't like the marketing materials. I don't like the table tents. I don't like the complimentary, non-complimentary water. And so for some reason, the first thing I always do is I gather all of those materials off of all the surfaces, anything that's basically an ad. I gather all that together, including the books of local attractions. And I, uh, oh, I'll add this to notes too. I always uh, put that in the lowest drawer. I gather all of them. And you can see here, that's just, that's just one hotel room. You can see two bottles of water, lots of cards for things. Orlando Style Magazine, which I mentioned <laughs> used to subscribe to, because I, I, I just so so my list. Oh, wait, yeah, wait, like wait, 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 back up. Do yeah, you sorry. do this if you're only in the hotel room for like one night, or is this for an extended stay, like three to five nights? Dan, if I'm about to call them and ask for a different room, I've already done this. This okay. is this is as I say, you know. So uh, yeah, <laughs> step zero in my original list. Step zero: replace any partial roll roll of toilet paper with a fresh one. Um, anyway, would you, would you like to explore John Dickerson's list? Yeah, John Dickerson has, I, and I'm not, um, I was not v very familiar with his work, Yeah, but he's, he's a written a book guy. on her trail. Oh, oh yeah. Well, he writes over, what is that? That's Slate. He's a great writer. Slate. And uh, his mom was one of the first uh, national news anchors. Very cool. So he seems like a very, uh, very cool guy based only on this list. And he refers to your list God, and these are good. These are so good, Dan. These are his rituals. And he says, uh, so he says, Merlin Man is a very good list that matches a good number of the rituals I've adopted for life on the road. I still can't seem to keep myself intact, however. On this last trip, I left behind a jacket and a favorite white shirt. Anyway, my list for dealing with life on the road. And uh, the first, he doesn't, it's not a numbered list. It's just a bulleted list. So the first one is Bullet. one sanity saving device. And he says candle for rooms that smell like death or Lysol. A few bags of green tea. Ethernet cable. He says, order three keys. Place one immediately in your briefcase for when you inevitably forget to grab it before leaving for the day. Then he does what, what you do. Collect all marketing material, fake plants, magazines, cardboard, tens, advertising, flaming dessert drinks at local bar and place them in closet. Put keys, money, notebook, index cards, cell phone, and everything else you must have on clean dresser space nearest door. Plug in and charge all devices. Remove bedspread. <laughs> It's the thing the they thing never they clean. Never clean. Yeah. <laughs> Unpack and put away clothes, but only if you can trust yourself not to forget your clothes in the dresser when you're leaving in a hurry. 
Place laundry bag from inside closet in your suitcase for dirty workout clothes. Before going to bed, set as many alarms as you can, cell phone, in-room clock, and wake-up call. Put mini flashlight and shoes next to bed for middle-of-night fire drill. Never thought of that one myself. I've had that. That's very disturbing. Wear pajamas. Even if you don't wear them at home, you may find yourself outside your hotel room. Plus, you're not the only one who has slept in that room. It's not the sleeping that worries me. Never watch Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull in a hotel room. You'll never sleep for the guilt at having ordered it. Leave a tip for the maid. When you leave to check out, always take your key. You'll need it when you have to go back to get whatever you inevitably forgot. Check back of bathroom door, collect chargers of all sorts. There's a couple that he misses that that you have on here, which I love and I have never uh I've never thought of before. And yours yours is number seven. Call room service, order order large pot of coffee to arrive thirty minutes before you plan to wake up in the morning. This becomes another alarm. So mm-hmm. smart. So so smart. Yeah, I, I thank you. And uh, I, I think I think John's are really good. I'm trying to think of I uh, have some amplification. I'll give a couple of things that are a little bit life hacky. Um, <laughs> one is life hacks. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna put stuff in a drawer, like make sure it's clean. But when you put stuff, I would say if you're gonna put stuff in a drawer only to the extent possible stuff that you want to have with you when you leave only ever use one drawer. Don't, you know, this is a, a good thing that I, I didn't used to think about this a lot until I was in something more like a real city. But whenever, whenever, I, whenever I go somewhere that's not my house uh, or office, I try not to spread out too much. I think spreading out is what leads to a lot of forgetting things. So, for example, I mean, you know, when I get to a room, I'm usually pretty exhausted, you know, and it's stressful. I'm hungry usually. And I'm just thinking about stuff like charging my phone, getting food, uh, stuff. And, and you start to spread out. So I, I, this is really dorky, but one thing I've got, I, I, this is so dumb. I don't know why I bought this, but I, I, I use it and I love it. Um, <laughs> you can use anything that works for you for this, but I'm going to give you mine. The, this uh, Red Ox company, I think they're called Red Ox, the company that makes the famous one bag for traveling. You search for Red Ox. They have this little cool thing that uh, becomes like a little, uh, what would you call it? Like a, a, a portable bowl. It's like a little valet. Portable bowl. Portable bowl. So it stacks flat in your suitcase. It's like the size of a washcloth. And then you snap the corners of it together with eight snaps, and it makes it into a little bowl. Sounds dorky, but that's always the last thing I pack in my suitcase on top. It's always the first thing that I take out. I snap the snaps, and now everything that is not Basically, everything that can fit in that bowl that's my go-to everyday carry goes in there. So all the stuff John talked about, like your wallet, pens, keys, any of that stuff, always only ever goes in that one bowl. Because this is how you screw yourself up, is you go, you use the steam room, and you come back, and your card is still in your swimsuit or something like that. That's how you get spread out. I think it's important to like, so, so three areas of this for your personal stuff, like your stuff you carry around and things like the hotel key, uh, always put that in one place. In this case, like a bowl of some kind. Um, do you know, does that make sense? So, totally. cause, cause I think if you leave it, if you leave it in the bath, you leave one key in the bathroom one time, you leave one key on the nightstand one time. That's not a good habit. A good habit is to always put that in one place. And you know what? You'll probably never have a problem until you have a problem, but that's one good way. Don't get too spread out. Like when you go to Starbucks, don't feel like you have to take everything out of your backpack, act like you're about to be murdered and might need to run at any time. So always that, that just always act like you're going to be murdered. So that's one. The other one, yes, the drawer. Try and minimize the amount of your clothing sprawl. Um, if you're going to hang stuff up in the closet, you might want to even give yourself a reminder for check at checkout time to remember to like go check all the places you never check. So third, with your electronic devices, I very rarely don't forget a cable somewhere. And I think part of that problem is again spreading out, where it's convenient to have the phone next to your bed. 
right? Mm-hmm. Your chargers, mm-hmm. if you don't have one of those little disgusting stands that you put, put it in. But try and minimize the number of places you have stuff like chargers. And then always, again, maybe with reminders, give yourself time to collect all of that stuff when you're not stressed out and in a hurry to get out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the spreading out is a big problem. I can't help with the contagion of a, of a hotel room, but I think you can minimize. The other thing, I, I there's lots of, gosh, we, we've done travel shows before, haven't we, Dan? Which one am I? Yeah, this we've done, boring. we've done, I think at least one that was really focused on this, but I think we've covered it in two or three at the most. Yeah. Uh, other little tips, uh, something Don Schaffner, uh, excuse me. Uh, Professor Dr. Don Schaffner uh, reminded me about uh, something I, I've done for years that seems so stupid, but I still do it, if I'm, especially if I'm traveling over like several legs, like if you're going to more than one hotel over like a week. Um, it doesn't take a lot to, like, why would you ever remember a three-digit number for what room you're in? Because you don't want to write that on your room card. That's no. crazy. Um, so take a photo with, with, your, with your iPhone, because that would be really handy to have. Uh, take a photo of your, of your room number outside. That sounds really silly, but if you're out drinking and stuff, it's going to be really nice if all you have to do is pop out your phone to remember where you are. The other thing I do is I'm a big water drinker, and I am not disposed to paying for lots of you know bottled water in the room. You probably do for your own personal reasons. But I, whenever I get room service, and that room service can be as simple as just getting a pot of coffee. You pay eight or ten bucks get a, and ask them for this specifically. Don't say, and water. Don't say, and a glass of water. Always begin your order by saying, hi, can I get some uh, can I get in, uh, in-room dining for, you know, uh, room 217? And they say yes. And you say, could I please get a large pitcher of ice water with two glasses? And could I please get a pot of coffee? And please, could I get the $100 steak? Open with the pitcher of water. Because otherwise they won't hear it. Everybody always says water at the end and they don't remember it. They don't get it. And then you got to be the dick who says, oh, I ordered a pitcher of water. Then when that arrives, enjoy your water. And that disgusting little piece of plastic they put on it to prove that no one's ever drank out of that glass before. And then what I do is I keep the, I keep the pitcher in a glass. And I'll sometimes put a note, because I'm that guy, I'll put a note on it and say, you know, housekeeping, please don't take this, please leave this here. And that way, I can go at that uh, disgusting ice maker and get that ice with the little black flecks in it. <laughs> and uh, and still, you ever gotten black flecks do in your people ice? people put that, like, in their beverages? The water? I mean, the ice? Or that's just to cool there. That's to cool cool you down. Put on your I back at the end you of the and I day. Had, Dan, I think you and I had a very, very awkward conversation about this one time. Yeah. I, if memory serves, you would never put hotel ice machine ice into something that would touch your mouth. No. You would only chill a beverage. Is that correct? And then yeah, you, you could, disinfect you, the you, bottle. You, yeah, like if uh, so, ideally you would cover whatever it is that you're going to be like. Okay, so let's say that you're chilling a bottle of wine. That's fine. You can put the bottle of wine right there in the little wine bottle chiller that they give you. That's fine. Um, but if you if you're going to be like, I think people forget about cross contamination of stuff. That mm. like if you're putting the bottle of water, why you would put a bottle of water in? the ice thing instead of in the fridge. I, I don't know, unless maybe you don't have a fridge. You can't put it in the fridge. They got the magnets and the robots in there to tell I it to move it. That. That's a new thing, isn't it? That I've only seen it, And it seems like the nicer the hotel, the, the, the more difficult they make it to use their amenities. Well, Cause I want a big empty f- compartment in that fridge that I can put the leftover dinners that I want to eat, you know, for the next well, that's morning. Like, that's like something. asking to sleep in a Coke machine. It's not what it's there for. <laughs> <laughs> that should be what it's there for. I agree. Well, you know, in some places, I'll tell you again, I'm just going to mention the Marriott family. Um, a lot of Marriott's I've been to, you can request a refrigerator um, and maybe pay a little extra, but they'll bring you like a dorm fridge if you want that. But I, I've heard a lot of people say, don't do anything with the ice buckets. 
Because those they don't really clean them and stuff. There's a lot they don't clean. And if you find like a like like people who use the glasses that are in their hotel room, if if those first of all, if all it has is that little upside down cupcake uh, cover on it, <laughs> you know I, don't, what I'm ta- I don't think that's I don't think that's like HEPA filter quality no. uh, cupcake holders. No, and those yeah. those things in theory would be really easy to put right over a dirty glass. You know what I'm They've saying? Been in a stack on the maid's cart. <sighs> it's it's theater, theater, Dan. It's theater, theater yeah. of the mind. Mm, that's what they call radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other ones? There's lots of these that I don't know. I I guess you know it's funny. It's a bummer to me that the life hack stuff got so out of control because there are some elements to at least the, the way I always thought about originally thought about life hacks. Not originally. Originally, life hacks were what Danny O'Brien called life hacks, which were ways that certain tech uh, geeks uh, seemed to be super productive and the kinds of little tricks, the embarrassing tricks they would do in coding and things like that. And people like me extended it to go beyond that. And I always thought of life hacks as things that are maybe a little bit inelegant, but excuse me, help make it uh, more difficult to do the wrong thing and easier to do the right thing. So, you know, there's like two canonic to me, if if you want to understand whether something's a good life hack or not, you can compare it against like the two canonical examples. There's one that actually David Allen talks about in Getting Things Done, which is Copyright David Code 2001, which is put your briefcase by the door. That's the classic. I cannot walk out the door without running into this briefcase. I've made it virtually impossible or whatever, whatever your bag is. Anything you want to forget, put it, don't want to forget, put it somewhere where it would be impossible to miss it. And so the second example that I love is when you're a little kid. When you're a little kid and you go swimming, like what, what do your parents tell you? You know, put your put your your keys or your money or whatever in your shoe. Mm. Don't, you know, drop it on the on the ground, put it in your shoe. And that way there's it's very unlikely that you're gonna lose that unless there's a bear attack or something like that. So I, I'm always attracted to anything that that gives me the opportunity to not have to fuss and worry. And then that not having to fuss and worry, you know, lets me think about other stuff, like like what's happened in that on that bedspread before. You ever think about that, Dan? Yeah, of course. A lot of people come in, they're real tired, they just peel everything off and just <sighs> lay down, luxuriate a little bit. No. Order a movie. Have some food on the bedspread. In the repose. It's so bad. Mm. I mean, I guess it's like the chance of this stuff actually harming you seems low, but it's it's the idea of it that's so unpleasant. I mean, how many people do you know that came back and like, oh yeah, I think I got sick from that bedspread? Not a lot, but it's the idea. It's the whole concept of it. It's the whole thought process of that. I think it's like a lot of things in life where it's it's something that starts out as let's mm. say you have something that's an extremely strong practice that has demonstrably good results about doing something like having stoplights and having everyone honor stoplights is a system that works. We don't love it, but it's a pretty good system. If you have a system of stoplights and that system works except for the fact that most people run the stoplights, well, that might be okay for a while if only a couple people run stoplights. But when more than a few people, like if 90% of people ran stoplights, that system would not work anymore right. and would have a downside. So the fact is that just because it's fairly innocuous bacteria that linger on the bedspread for three years is not a problem now. But like what happens if there's some kind of like a staff thing that breaks out or, you know, the bed bug situation and stuff like that? That's, you know, I mean, to me, like, it's just that I think the margins for hoteliers are so thin and they're looking to exact every nickel out of everything that they can. I would have to guess that things like cleaning up a hotel room are pretty low on the list of priorities. Yeah, it just, you know, if you think about it, technically, um, 
you know, their, their focus is on turning those rooms over as much as possible and getting people in and out as fast as possible. And I, I mean, it's, it, it, it is kind of, it's more of a thing that sounds and feels gross to us as people when we think about it, then maybe then it actually is, you know what I mean? Like, is yeah. it, is it that bad? Well, I don't know. I mean, the whole bed bug thing, that's pretty bad. I've, you know, I've never personally run into that, but a friend of mine, uh, he and his wife were visiting and these are the kind of folks that they don't travel very much. And my logic is if you don't travel much, when you do travel, get something nice, stay, stay in a, a really nice room, stay in a nice hotel. That's in a good location. They actually have the opposite philosophy and they're like, we don't travel much, so we don't need much. So they will, they're the type of people who will choose a hotel simply based on price. You know, what's the cheapest hotel that's not too far from where we're going to be. And they went there and there were bed bugs and they had to, you know, eva essentially evacuate the hotel with all of their stuff and then go to the next hotel. And that one didn't have bed bugs, but it was, it was the completely messed up their trip. And you don't know, bed bugs aren't just in the cheap places. My understanding is they could be in the highest end places too. But yeah. it's, it's, it's that kind of thing that you try to, it, my philosophy and what I'm, my point is, is you try to sort of eliminate the things that make you um, potentially grossed out. And, and, you know, the, a lot of people now, Merlin, will tweet to us the picture of the remote control that says something like it's a sanitized for your convenience. And it's like in a little in a little uh, trough or something that they'll or a little cup <laughs> that's specifically for it. And then it says it's been sanitized. Do you trust that? Like if something if someone says something's clean, does it look clean to you? <clears throat> Honestly, a lot of this is a bit for me. I I. I I, I, I know actually, for you it is. For me, it's actually. I actually am pretty okay with that stuff. But I'll be honest with you, uh, those kinds of little tricks, the you know the kind of things like remember they used to put like the sash across the toilet seat to like prove to you that it had been cleaned and nobody pooped on it since yeah. you've been there. Yeah. Like that that is that's theater that helps us feel comfortable on about not noticing like how many hundreds of people have been in that room before. I don't know if that really makes a difference in that case. Like you know, I think if you really are troubled by where that remote has been. And you probably should be troubled. You're better off to take the garbage can liner and just handle the remote that way and then not switch channels too much. But, you know, I, no, I don't believe that at all. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, it's, uh, I, I don't believe it. But, but, you know, but here, the corollary though is it's sort of like if you go to a restaurant <clears throat> and we've worked in restaurants, you've worked at Publix, you know what goes on behind the scenes at places. There's no place in the world that is pristine. And, you know, and in fact, there's a site you can go to, to go read the, um, health code, um, reports for restaurants in San Francisco. It's always very interesting. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's really like, you know, crap bag kind of places that have roaches and rats, but like, you'd be amazed how many like really nice restaurants get pinged on stuff like not having adequate hand-washing facilities, uh, food stored, eggs stored at unsafe temperatures and so forth. I mean, that goes on everywhere. But the reason I say the corollary is that if you go into a place and it looks really clean, that's kind of a good sign because it means they are at least concerned that, that you're going to think the place is disgusting. What worries me is when you go into a place and there's cats wandering around and you're like, hmm, that doesn't seem to bother them at all. Like, what must it be like in the places I can't see? Like in the yeah. back of that walk-in, what's that going to be like? Ugh. You ever get black flecks, black flecks in your eyes? You ever have I that? I don't, I try not to look at the eyes. 
I think it might be mold. Mold in the in the ice machine. I mean, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe some kind of a, a light mildewing. Yeah, yeah. It, it really it really is horrible. But at least these things can help you have your own your own sense of uh, you know fake security, which is nice if you make that yourself. It's a good feeling. Dan, I don't did know. You I just, the whole, yeah, I'll tell you about something I like. Talk about I, something. Yeah. I, you know, a little breath of fresh air for this because mm. it's t- this show is. What has happened you, to the show? Do you need to lay down? I mean, I was looking forward to this trip. Now, now I don't know. Oh my gosh! All the predictions—it's a lot to talk about. <laughs> Smile. Okay. Oh no! Oh, that's wait. That's the name of the company that we're doing. Oh, Dan, Dan, you got. I just me saw again. it at the top. It just said right at the top of the page. Smile. <laughs> oh God, darn you! PDF pen is what we're talking about today, but not just any PDF pen. PDF pen for iPad. I'll tell you what this thing lets you do because you know what I, I watched. Uh, I watched that Apple uh, commercial. Have you seen the new one, the new spot? Mm-mm. It features a uh, woman who's a travel writer. I haven't read her stuff. And she apparently travels around and most of what she does is holding, she's holding her iPad up and taking photos with it in this commercial. Uh, That's what she does. And she's a travel writer. Uh, So iPads, they're popular things Apple makes. I've got one. And PDF Pen for the iPad, it lets you edit PDFs anywhere you are. And now they've just added transporter integration. Do you have one of these? Do you have one of these transporters, right? Mm-hmm, sure do. Conical. Yes, conical in nature. And they, you can, so you can access your PDFs on your own private secure cloud. And now PDF Pen for iPad fully integrated with this. But you don't have to use that. You don't want to use that. Don't use it. You can sync your PDFs uh, with, with uh, iCloud. You can do it with Dropbox. They've got now Evernote integration, Google Drive integration, Box and, and like I said, transporter, all built into this now, all added right into this. This is becoming the main way that I manage PDFs now. I love doing this on the iPad because it's right there, tactile. They're going to have to run with that. It's just a word. You can sign everything. You could do everything with the iPad all right there. So we had these, um, my kid, you know, it's starting up with this, some, you know, new, uh, new, new doctor. So they send you all these PDFs like, well, you need to fill these out, you know, ahead of time. And do you do it all right there with PDF pen for iPad, fill everything out there. It's amazing. And then it's synced up. Now, if you do use like Dropbox or something like that, and it's shared your spouse, your significant other, your friend can go in and edit it the same way. It's just the best stuff in the world. Anyway, you want a private cloud. Now it's got transporter integration. So the special URL you are going to go to smilesoftware.com slash B two W go there. That'll let you let them know that you heard about it here. It'll support the show. It'll uh, show you all of uh, David Sparks, really great videos and how you can do this. All really awesome. Go check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash B two W PDF pen for iPad fresh and new. Well done. Like your hotel sheets. Mm. I, uh... I think the sheets are clean. I think the sheets are clean. Yeah. I think of the sheets as a barrier between you and Hades. Hmm. Because if you have you ever looked, don't do this. Okay. Do not look at the mattress ever. No. I did that. Oh, damn. This was about. Uh, that's that's eight, debilitating. Eight years ago. <laughs> and I looked you at it. You say it like, like it was a car wreck or something. <laughs> it, well, it was. It was eight years ago. I looked at the It was a night just like this. 
I did. I looked at, I looked at a mattress in a very nice hotel. All I'm going to say is don't do that. Mm. Don't do that. It's better to live in ignorance than to know. That's true. That's an old, uh, old uh, Yiddish saying. I, I, I feel inclined to do, uh, do kind of a Finn the human thing. Like, get, you know how he sleeps in like not just a sleeping bag, but he sleeps like in this entire like it's like wrapped <laughs> it's, entirely yeah. around him, and only like a tiny piece of his face is yeah, showing out. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, well, that's a great show. I feel like uh, I feel like th- that's the only way to sleep in. A, you know, I do. I have known people who brought bring their own linens to hotels and and l- swap out the hotel linens for their own linens. That seems a little too much for me because nothing, you know, maybe I'm living in ignorance and nothing bad has ever really happened to me. I knew a woman, a woman I used to work for who would bring um, bathroom cleanser with her because she'd always scrub the, she'd like take a bath, but she would always scrub the tub herself before she did it. Why do you have to take a bath in the hotel? Oh, that's nice to take a bath in a hotel. Are you You kidding? You wouldn't do that? No. Why why is that? Because of the contagion? The, well, the whole, th- because I don't want to, first of all, I, you could barely get me to clean a tub in my own home, <laughs> let alone I'm traveling to clean a tub. That's the reason I left home. So mm. I don't have to clean the tub. Who wants to clean? I just not going to, I don't need to be, ba- I'll shower. I'm not bathing. It's like you painted yourself into a corner and you're afraid of paint. I don't mm. want to have to clean a, clean a tub. That's why. No. I mean, do you squeegee the shower when you're traveling? No. Honestly, I don't. I spend more time squeegeeing the shower than I do showering because it has to, it has, because <laughs> if I leave one of the walls undone, then there's a whole conversation that has to happen. How real is that, Dan? That's all. I don't, I, none of this is a bit. People think maybe for you, it's a bit. For me, this is just my life. Really? Yes. Dang. Squeegeeing. Everything's squeegeeing. <laughs> How do you clean the squeegee? The squeegee, you, just, you shake it, you shake it off, I guess. I don't know. I just leave yeah, it. Yeah, but I mean, that squeegee that's doing all that heavy lifting for you has a lot of stuff on it. And then you're just care. moving it around. It's like, I used to, I used to be with a guy who taught me about sponges. When I, I had a housemate who, who got, got me, I uh, got my mind right about sponges. Because I would just have a sponge. You just use the sponge for everything. And the sponge sits around and it's wet. Ugh. And he's like, have you ever, have you ever thought about that sponge? And I was like, no, Dan, I, I had, his name's Dan also. I, ha, I have not thought about the sponge. And he says, it just, you, you use it, you can't use it to clean all that different stuff and then just have it sit there wet. That's just a, that's just bacteria waiting to happen. So no, I, won't, you know, I won't touch a sponge. You don't touch a sponge at all. Nope. What do you, squeegee? No, the squeegee is only for the shower. I won't, I won't use a sponge. I'll use, uh, use a paper toweling. It seems like this, I don't want to, I don't want to sound judgy, but it sounds like what you're describing, this may make you a less helpful member of your household staff as regards cleaning. I, don't, I, have, it, been it, to, I have been told that. Okay. And you're so you're not have, the first person to make that observation. I, I am literally on the other side of the country. I, I, I don't have, I've never been to your home. Um, it's cleaner. But yeah. Squeegee. Hmm. <laughs> it's very clean. It's very clean. Yeah. I'll bet. I don't know how you do that with two kids, man. Clean? Clean. I don't know how you keep, I mean, I, I, we hire, we, okay. So here's another thing. Have you ever hired people into your home to come and clean your home? Yes. I, we do that. But then you got to clean before they come. <sighs> We've talked about this, haven't we? It's all coming back to me. It's, 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 it's housekeepers all the way down. Cause, cause <laughs> you have to, if you think about it and this is, this is not just some kind of a joke from Dennis the Menace or something. Uh, like the thing is when you have people clean your home, if you're fancy, you know, you could do that. You know, we, I don't want to get into it, but we've, we've had that done. But when you do that, the thing is they're going to send a couple of people there for a certain amount of time and they're going to work that whole time. In our case, the people who do stuff for us are great. It took a long time. Yeah. Cause here's the problem. Here's the thing with the housekeeping thing is when you, when you hire people to do that, 
Like they'll be really amazing for the first clean. They call it a deep clean, mm. right? Come out. Oh, so that's a thing. I thought that was just our our company. That's like oh, a no, thing. Oh, no, 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 First, The first week they come in there and they clean, I think the technical term is the living bejesus out of your house. They get the cobwebs. They get uh, they get the stuff behind things. They go under the refrigerator, all those kinds of things. And then it's pretty good the next week. But then eventually, like you're seeing where they kind of just swiped a cloth across an area and made a streak and didn't get everything. And you start seeing where like now the floor is sticky and that kind of stuff. And these folks that, that we've got are great. But the thing is, they can only do so much in a certain amount of time. And you don't want to look like a bush pig. So you got to get your house into some kind of a condition before strangers come in to clean it. This is the thing. Don't think this is not a thing, because this is a thing. If your room is a, is, a, is, a, is a total poop hole, and then you hire people to come in, they're just going to make it a little bit less of a poop hole, but now you paid for two hours of that. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. It, it, it becomes a kind of work. But um, see, my, my, my problem is like a bad father problem, which is like of the numerous things that we got kind of right, there's one thing I think I didn't get right, which is I never got it, because it never got into my head as a kid, I think it never got into my kid's head that like cleaning up is not punishment. Like if you take out a bunch of Legos, then you take out about a, take out a bunch of princess clothes, then you take out a bunch of books. You basically create these six w- little work centers of mess. Oh, don't even get me started on the glitter glue. Oh, you get yeah. the glitter, the glitter, the glitter, the glitter will never leave your house. I have I'm co- literally covered with glitter right now. But it, and I can't <laughs> I can't get my child to understand that 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 putting the Legos back into the Lego box is not a punishment. I'm not doing this because I'm angry at you. I might sound frustrated because it's one of seven discreet messes in the house right now. I don't understand how people do. Like you look at those Dwell Magazine type people with their white pants and their barefoot children sitting around with nothing in the house and all their wood slats. It's sickening. Like where's all their stuff? Like where's, where's like doll shoes? Do they not have doll shoes? Those things get everywhere. We try to contain it to the playroom and that works pretty well uh, as long as we can do it. But my kid... Uh, he the uh, the the boy the older one he liked for a long time he would take stuff he'd be playing with something and then we'd oh lunchtime so he'd come out he'd bring whatever it was and he would be used to put it on the table and then MJ got to be big enough where she can grab stuff off the table so then he sh- shifted it over to we have like one of those counters so that if you were if you were sitting on like a stool or a, a high chair that you would be as an adult you would be sort of facing into the kitchen. And you would sit at this, and it's like a bar. They call it a bar. A bar. A bar. A bar. A bar. <laughs> so she would, he, he would put it up there, and then there would be so much crap up there. So my solution to this would be to, to say, listen, anything you put up there, you know, if you don't take it away with you after, you know, within an hour, it's going into a box. And the box will then go on top of the fridge, and you won't get it back until the next day. So there's a consequence, you know. Mm. But, Quid pro quo. Yes. But my, my wife's solution for this was to put to try to contain it into a tray. So she put a tray up there and he would start putting stuff into the tray and then the tray would just become this, this massive pile of stuff. Oh, God, I live it. It's, it's just it's That's like, our microwave. That's our microwave. And it, how do you escape that? I don't know how you escape it. And there's another built-in problem. God, this is interesting listening. The other problem with this is, <laughs> no, it is that, that if you have hypothetical people come clean your hypothetical house every so often, or even if you and your mate spend two hours cleaning an entire area, the, fu- the funny thing is then the kid walks in and goes, wow, this is great. She runs around in three circles in the room because now she can move in the room and then immediately starts taking things out because it's fun again. It's fun to take mm. things out of things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is. I mean, the real answer is that we're bad people who've probably given our kid too much stuff to play with. You know, if we, if she had one, one simple doll or like half a doll, something that she would really treasure and take care of, you know, convalesce. Does she like big things or smaller things? Oh boy, does she like small things? Yeah. Why? Why yeah. do they like that? Well, she's very, um, she likes making arty things. She likes, oh, oh, you'd love this, Dan. She loves cutting things out and making them into things. And so sometimes we'll, we'll just go into our, we call it the lounge, go into the, the family room. And uh, she will have cut mm, 100 uh, small ovoid pieces of construction paper in order to make jewels for a crown, for example. And now that's everywhere. Oh. Plus glitter. Did I mention glitter? Mm. Glitter, man. Glitter is rough. It's just the whole family looks like Ziggy Stardust all the time, <laughs> not in a good way. I just remember when I was a kid, I had a, 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 always had a hard time like putting things away and remembering to put them away. You'd get something out and you'd start playing with it. And then you'd, oh yeah, I want to go do this. And you come back and that stuff is still out. And you're like, well, I may want to play with it later. So I'll just leave it there. And that becomes the core fundamental reason of, of having a mess. And I was like, I was like that until I got to college, I think. And then when I was in college, I was like, oh, well, no one else is going to clean this crap up. I guess I got to do it. And then I, I formed a habit that I try really hard, uh, to, to do. And it's one of those things that it, this sounds so obvious and so simple, but it would, for me, was like, this was the key to, uh, to, to always keeping stuff organized, at least in my home is that have a place for everything. And if you don't have a place for it, don't buy it or don't get it. Don't it does, it, it does sound simple and it's not, it's not, but you're absolutely right. First of all, people say that, that, you know, cliche all the time, a place for everything, everything in its place. Yeah. But, but what that doesn't account for in part is use and change. So the use part is like, it took me a while to finally get to the fact that like we have three, three drawers roughly in our kitchen full of like our go-to day-to-day kitchen ding guy. Mm. Right. And so, but there's one, like the, the, I finally have gotten to a point where it's sensible. Like these things that are like long stirring things all go in this one drawer, knife things go in this drawer. And then a lot of the like things like, you know, temperature probes and silicon rubber bands and all that kind of stuff goes in this big drawer. And that's, that's worked out pretty well. So the use part is one thing. Like if you're not, you know, as long as we're talking about all this uh, home stuff, you know, I'll just mention in passing a wonderful book that uh, I really recommend called It's All Too Much, which is a terrific book about clutter. The only book about clutter that I've, that I've ever really gotten into because it's not about buying plastic boxes. It's not about what kinds of containers to get for things. It's about only keeping things that are meaningful to you, things that have a place in the life that you want rather than any of the other lives you think you should have had or, you know, that, you know, that, that, Marvel multiverse where you have a smaller waistline and therefore these pants will fit one day. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Stop doing that. If you actually care about it, keep one and frame it. Like that's how it works. Kids drawings, whatever that is. And I, I really, I go off the philosophy of that book at my peril. So the two parts to me use, um, what did I say? It was uh, use and, uh, and change basically, or, you know, evolution. So something you may use a lot for a while, think about all the baby crap you have. And there's all that stuff when you first have a baby, there's all this junk you have to have, you have to carry everywhere for a kid. Well, that changes over time. And if you don't evolve the system for how you use and store that stuff, you're going to be behind before you realize it. So, you know, if you get some kind of Ikea system for dealing with your kid's stuff that does not comport with how they actually work, then you're both going to be frustrated. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And so the, the, the every, everything in its place part becomes something you have to constantly evolve. 
I mean, I don't know. It's a little bit like doing coding or something like that, where the the way you th- you know you have to kind of keep moving back and forth between this like macro view, uh, you know, zoom in and zoom out kind of view. Like, is this all working together? Is, this, is all this code working together? I want to get these bugs at this molecular level, but if I'm not take, taking into account like how the whole system works, then it won't really work. And the same is true here. If you discover that your kid like your your storage system was about ponies and now they're into Legos, well then that has to adapt with it. And I, I, you know, I should take that into account more often because what I end up doing is going and scooping everything and putting it in a box. Yeah. And then I scoop everything else up and put it in another box. And now all we've done is compartmentalize the mess, which is, you know, not the way to do it. But, but you're right. I mean, you're always fighting the last war. I feel like, you know, if, if the house is clean and I bring my kid home, like I, I really, it's like a Simpsons cartoon. I spend the entire time chasing her, like trying, yeah, sure. Trying to have fun, but also trying to like, I'm always like two messes behind. And I, I don't know how anybody ever has a house that they have people into. I honestly, I, I honestly don't. We it's, only will invite other parents into our house. We've gotten, so, we've gotten so much more mellow about that. I'm, I always think of that one, just that one, I don't know how many frames of this one Simpsons cartoon come into my head twice a day. Marge spends hours cleaning the kitchen. Remember this? And then she walks through the swinging door. The door swings back. And when you see it open again, the entire kitchen is messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's real that's, life. Yeah, that's how I feel. It's totally real life. Oh, I mean, this is fascinating. Productivity, creativity, it's Dan all, Benjamin. It's all in there. But I think it's that, all related. I think that there's, you know, the problem that you run into is that your children's values when it comes to putting things away and having things organized are different. I remember a friend of mine, um, gosh, I guess I guess this was in mid to late nineties. And he had just, and the reason I say that is his, I'm trying to calculate his age. I think he was in his mid twenties. He owned a house, but lived alone. And I just, I was very fascinated by that because I didn't know anybody else in their mid twenties who, if they weren't married, didn't, you know, owned a home. I think that's more common today, but he had done it because it was like, it was a good investment. He got a good deal. He kind of fixed up the place, but like his life was so put like organized and put together because it was just him. And he was not your typical bachelor where they're like pizza boxes all right. No, oh, he I was, see what you're saying. Not even like a competing like roommate person. Not even a roommate. Right, right, right. Nobody that he had to say, well, no, we should, we should put this thing in. No, it was, and it was so organized. And you talk about having a place for everything. I mean, he did. And he had lots of stuff, but it was all organized. It was all put away. And he wasn't a typical bachelor where he's like, yeah, I got a bachelor pad with a cool TV. And the No, it was just like, it, it was almost like, where's the, the lady who's, who's, you know, who, who's keeping everything organized, but it was just him. And he was organized in his work. He was organized in, in his, the way he thought, the, the way he racked the servers. You know what I'm saying? Like he, this would just extended to all aspects of his life. And he had the time to do it. And that's the thing that I feel is, is the missing piece for me is like, I constantly come up with really efficient ways to do things and organizational systems and stuff. And, And I find myself saying, yeah, I'll have to get to that someday because right now I'm just trying to get him to put his shoes on. Oh my God, the shoes. It's, you know, it's, it's a time thing where you're like, yeah, I do know how to do it. And I do know that if I spent 15 minutes that this, this thing would become a system. And from then on, it would say five minutes a day, but I can't grab that 15 minutes. I really can't. And there's people, when I, when people who are single and they're in their twenties, and they're like, oh, I don't, didn't have any time to do it. I'm like, yes, you did. 
<laughs> you did have time to do that. Oh, no, I was really busy. I had to do that. No, you did. You did have time. I had Not to take having care of, time is never a reason if you're 25 and single. I had to take care of an insane person today. I used to think, you know, when a kid's little, they're 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 clearly irrational. Yeah. But uh, my lo- daughter, who I love more than anything in the world, I think is reaching that stage where now she just seems legitimately insane, where, which makes me feel insane because I find myself saying things like, "I want to I want to be clear about this. I don't know if we need to have an infographic, but whenever we leave the house, certain things always have to happen. You you have to have some shoes on. Yeah." You have to, you have to have a jacket. You always need a jacket. Never not have a jacket. Always have a jacket. You got to brush your teeth. We got to brush your hair. Right, but it's the same thing every time. It's the same thing every it, time. It really is. As it simple. doesn't change exactly. And uh, I'll pivot a little here to make this slightly relevant because um, I think it is relevant. Oh, it's relevant. It's relevant. I'm not worried about whether it's relevant. <laughs> Squeegee that off. <laughs> what would you do if I sat on a on a high chair or stool? What would you do when when I left? Would you squeegee the stool? Oh, you only have to squeegee the shower when you're done showering it. You don't squeegee other things in the house. But I don't want to get too personal or triangulate, but I mean, are these stools uh, that you describe, do they have like a woven cover? Like what what kind of a... Oh, we don't have the stools. We had to move them because the kids kept sliding them. And you know the sound that a a stool makes when you slide it across a wooden floor? Like a scrapey wrought iron sound? Yeah, those went into the garage, into our staging area, and then they were given away or something. Good. I don't know. Good. Long gone. All right, good. Well, I'll know where to stand then. (laughs) Hmm. Perfect for standing with a cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. What, what do you, are you in no shoes house? Uh yeah, no shoes of course. Yeah, we're in no shoes house. You have to be no shoes house. Hey, how about Burke Cooper, am I right? Seriously? Oh my god. I did uh, that last scene did not work uh, for me. That last uh, scene did not work for me. Mm. Oh, it made me happy. I I'll watch it again and be mad. Here's the thing. I had lunch with a guy yesterday talking about worky stuff and um talking about what are we talking about? <laughs> Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. That's all I want. I could go out there tonight with these leads. You know what? No one cares. I think. I think. Um, there's. There's. Uh, when you think about uh, what are we talking about. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's two uh there's two big circles of of improvement opportunities inside of a work environment and they are independent and yet horribly sickly related. Mm. So when you think about productivity, what are you talking about? You, you talk about <laughs> talk about productivity. On the one hand, there's all this stuff. The stuff that has in the past interested me the most is what I would consider personal development or self-improvement or you know, productivity improvement. So that's stuff like the entire like super class of all of the getting things done productivity stuff. Stuff that is designed to help you get your crap together, to help you think think clearly by being more organized, but by thinking in a more sensible way. Like thinking by itself is not that much of a gift. Thinking too much, well, you go down think holes and you become like a crazy person. But how does that thinking turn itself into stuff that you'd actually like to accomplish, right? This is really old school stuff, but I think it's important that, you know, first thing you got to do is be able to handle what's on on your plate. You know what I mean? To be able to deal with the stuff that, uh, the work that comes in, the kinds of the meetings, all, you know what I mean? All the kinds of stuff that's about my half acre of this business. Mm -hmm. And then over here, there's this other circle that didn't used to interest me at all and now kind of obsesses me, which is all the stuff about how we work together, all the stuff about the culture of our workplace and our teams and all of that 
stuff that used to seem really kind of up in the clouds and silly and all about management and that kind of stuff. But now I realize it's super duper important because even if you get really, really great at all of your own stuff, you still have to deal with other people. I mean, even if you work on your own, even if you're that guy in his 20s with his own house, like he still has to deal with clients that may not be as organized as he, people who may not see the big picture uh, as cogently as he does. And and so it always interests me to look at once you get beyond the area where you feel like you've gotten organized <clears throat> and you're able to maintain some kind of a system that lets you get your work accomplished, you know, in a way that leaves you not, you know, wanting to kill yourself 90% of the time. That's really good. But that other circle is so strange and difficult and ineffable to me. And and what am I talking about? What are you talking about? You talk about the way people work together. You talk about, you know, stuff that we in the last year or two have talked more about, which is stuff like work, work culture and values, but not values in the capital V value sense, but values in the sense of like, what is it okay to do here? What is it okay to not just ask of each other? Like, what is it okay to silently expect of each other? And, and all the ways that, if that second circle is not working in a way that is sensible to you, like if you, if you, no matter how good you are at your stuff, there are people who quit companies, I'll bet, or people who are very unhappy in their job at a company who, who think they're doing a great job with all of their stuff. It's just that they haven't found their place in that other circle. Do you know what I mean? And so the way that comes back to the parenting part for me, something I've said before that I think is important is that I think inside of companies, there's a certain kind of cataract, something very difficult. It might have to do with expertise. It might have to do with management, but there's something really thorny about being able, about trying to improve the culture of how we work together and trying to improve our work as a group. And, you know, the ham-fisted person will start, you know, generating manuals and making people watch DVDs and go to seminars and basically acting like they are vessels to be filled with wisdom, Mm. their wisdom, whether directly or by proxy. But, but I think it's I think it's super challenging to find a way to take that invisible culture and improve it. And I, I don't have the answer to that because there is not anything approaching one answer to that. And in fact, it may be impossible. By the time you realize that your culture is there, whether you know what it is or not, it may be the point where you're realizing your culture is not good. It could be a, it could be a very negative culture. It could be a somewhat abusive culture. It could be a lackadaisical culture. So I don't know how to, I can't give you like one key to improve that. But I, I will say one thing, just to repeat myself. I think people in an organization judge how well things are going, tend to judge how things are going, how management is performing. All Whenever they look at how things are going with other people, I think you have to look at what is being rewarded and what is being suffered. So again, if you're somebody who's allowed to park your Porsche in the handicap spot just because it's really super convenient and right out front, everybody else is going to look at that. It doesn't matter if that's the biggest producer in the world, right? The fact is everybody else is going to look at that and and see abuse. They're going to see, why is that person allowed to get away with this? I'm over here and right, I'm, right, I, right, right. I'm supposed to be allowed to play my radio at a reasonable volume after 11 a.m., but you're coming over here and yelling at me about these really petty things you know, all the classic office space stuff, but what's rewarded and what is suffered. So if you've got a bunch of Six Sigma posters on the wall, I assume they make posters. They probably make, you know, Dakota rings and, and tinfoil hats and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, you can, you can have all of this imported culture and imported knowledge that you, you know, spray on the, the company to go like, oh, now, now we're Six Sigma, or now we're all about GTD, or now we're all about the checklist manifesto, or whatever the flavor of the month is. So now I've done my job as a manager. I've told everybody how to be productive, and now they're just boneheads if they don't do what I tell them to do. 
hmm, productive, possibly, but I think that happens a lot. While the people who are in the trenches, the people who are in the uh, prairie dog uh, cubes are going to be noticing what got suffered and what got rewarded. Mm -hmm. And, And so for me at home, when I see things that are not going the way that I wish they went, where I, I think for some reason there should be some magical influence that makes my kid want to put Legos away. Well, the thing is, what did I reward and what did I suffer? It, you know, the thing is, it, this is, I'm just being, you know, honest here. Like if I, if I get mad, if I say, could you clean up your Legos? Clean up your Legos? And, I, and I say that over and over. Well, I, that never became a thing that was a value to us. It was always a thing where I would say that, and then maybe I would just clean it up myself. And then it gets to the point where maybe I get mad because the Legos are cleaned up. And I say, in five minutes, everything in here that is yours will be thrown away. Right. I have on probably two occasions done something like that, and I felt horrible after I did it. Not not because uh, you know oh I'm being tough dad. No, you because said I was it or being, you actually th- executed and threw it away. Oh no, I, it's based partly on your inspiration with the race car scenario. Yeah, back in the day. No, there was a couple times when I felt like I really was not getting through. Not taking into account things like is it late in the day? Are we tired? Does this have anything to do with what I've ever consistently expected before? It's all on me. I'm I'm the mess here. She's six. It's her job to be six. Mm-hmm. It's my job to go in and have a, a, a broader worldview and a consistency that makes her be a kind of six that, that makes her a good person. And so anytime that goes the wrong way, I, I can't blame her. That's ridiculous. And so I find myself honestly saying, I remember one time a couple months ago, I think I told you this, but a couple months ago I walked in and I was like, we really need to clean this room up. We need to get our, our stuff. And not noticing probably that a third of the stuff on the floor was mine because she's the kid and she needs to clean up and she's a bad person. And at one point I finally, I finally said, and I think this was actually 5% instructive, but 95% dick was I, I went and I said, I want you to look at everything in this room on the floor. That's yours. I want you to clean it up. You don't even have to get it organized. I want everything out of this room and in your room. And in a few minutes, I'm going to come back here. If there's anything in here that's yours, I'm going to assume you didn't want it. And I'm going to go put it on a shelf. And, what an awful thing to say. She bawled because now I'm basically introducing this thing that used to be sort of just a a 50 50 hertz hum of we should all clean up. Mm -hmm. And now I've suddenly escalated that three levels up to be something dangerous. I didn't do that as a value. You know, if I, the one thing I have learned, if I want her to clean up her trains or clean up her Legos or whatever it is, it really helps a lot if I say, hey, come over here. Give me a hand with this. Let's both put this away. I'll put most of it away. If I get down there and do that, then she's seeing that modeled, if you like, that, that, that this is what we do. Now, if I were to do that every time, even though it's not the dad thing to do, the dad thing to do is to yell at everybody. But the real dad thing to do, the real father thing to do would be to get down on my freaking hands and knees and start doing it myself and then have her join me. If I did that every time, I think I would be creating a different culture and a different set of values. So when, when dads yell at kids about how messy the room is kind of out of nowhere, then that just becomes, that becomes a new habit. The new habit is I get away with this for this long until somebody yells at me and then we cry and then he does it anyway. Right. And we're in a way we are creating these situations. We're conditioning these different responses, right? I mean, because be- of what we rewarded and what yes. we suffered. Yes. And, and what I suffered in that case was I, maybe because I'm tired, maybe because I want to do something else, I was not there from the beginning modeling that behavior or finding a more positive way to make that something that we all just do. I mean, there's also this, you know, when you're a kid, there's so much stuff you got to do that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense or it isn't fun. And, you know, 
I don't even have the answer to that. All I know, as with the companies where all you know is that the culture is bad, all I know is that in that extreme minority of cases where I wish I'd done stuff pretty differently, that's one, and it's on me. And I, I think that's valuable to know because even just knowing that that's on me now lets me approach that problem better in the future because you know what happens next if I'm not careful? Then it becomes a thing where now it's just this, you know, standoff. It becomes the standoff. You know, it's sort of like the, you know, the counting parents, I'm going to count to three. And yes. if you don't, yes. you've like, told me you don't, you won't count. I don't believe in counting. Yeah. Um, because that's, th- then that becomes something where, you know, you get three extra seconds before we start yelling at each other. But, you know, I, I feel like there are patterns, those kinds of patterns can become very difficult to undo. We're now, you know, you know, when I talk about the rewarding and, and, and suffering, it's kind of like a pigeon in a box, pecking at a bar. Like, you know, you could have an entire, you know, you could read them some kind of Spinoza treatise about how the world works, but the pigeon's really going to notice when the pellet falls out. What, what, what happens? Like, do they get the shock or do they get the pellet? That's what the pigeon will notice. They're not going to notice all the blah, blah, something, something, you know, ontology stuff. What happened when they did this is what they're going to remember. And I think they're also going to remember what the emotion was that's associated with that. Right. So this is why we get into things like procrastination, because we get so used to thinking of if I'm not where I want to be with something, I should start hating myself. Mm. Like if this room is not clean, now it's time to yell at each other. And I don't want to I don't want to get to that point. But I think it happens in companies accidentally because we don't tend to look at ourselves in the same way that I'm so wonderfully looking at myself right now. I think managers tend don't always look at themselves in terms of what they say versus what they do. I'm not going to call it hypocrisy because that's a stupid word, but it, it is a certain kind of inconsistency. And I think Kids and employees, all people really want consistency. They want to understand when they're going to get the shock and when they're going to get the pellet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think there's something that's, you know, that that everything that we do, we are kind of conditioning these these kids uh, and to how to respond. And like, do, do, does your daughter respond differently to you than to your wife if you ask her to yes. do something? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole range of things that that will be wildly different. Yeah, depending on the two of us. For yeah, sure. and, and I, not not just stuff like that, but even like even like all kinds of stuff. Like it could be about food. It could be about how we deal with you know being in the car. Like whatever it is, it it, it can be very different. There's some things where um, she can be very oppositional with one of us and not the other. And, and other times where, like, we have been told by her teacher many times that she helps clean up the classroom more than almost anybody. Yeah. And, and my wife and I just stare at each other and we're yeah. like, are you sure? Like, what, what, what has happened? Because I think... So you get that, you get, you get the varying uh, responses. Yeah, very much. Uh, one of the big things, and, you know, this might be because my wife spends, you know, more time through the day and has to have that role of making sure that they do their thing or that they eat or that they, you know what I'm saying? And, and I get to, in some ways, be kind of the more fun dad sometimes. And they, they associate me with being <laughs> totally. more fun because like dad comes home and then he plays with us and then we go to bed and then he takes me to school and then, you know, then he's gone. And <laughs> dad is great. Yeah. He gives us chocolate cake. Yeah, exactly. The whole Cosby <laughs> thing there. And there's, so there's <laughs> the definitely cake behind you. <laughs> there's definitely an aspect of truth to that. And, you know, but at the same time, and as a result of my wife spending, so much time with him throughout the day that she goes from calm to, um, oh my God, you guys just need to listen to me very, very, very quickly. 
So her responses frequently are very much in a state of, I don't want to say panic, but a, a sort of, she almost goes from talking to yelling. Not that we yell a lot, but you know what I'm saying? Like to get their attention, to get them to start doing something. And so I'm, I noticed this and I don't yell very much at all. Uh, but, but if I raise my voice, like they do it right away. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it becomes a very, if you're, if you're trying to get, if your kids are, are obstinate or just incorrigible it, and you notice that they, they do something when you raise your voice a bit, I'm not talking about yelling and berating. I'm talking about like, you need to go and get your, you know, and that get your shoes on now, or we're not going to be able to go that, that kind of yelling. If you notice that they respond right. to that, it becomes like, well, that's a tool I can use. But if you overuse the tool, then you're always yelling and they begin to filter that out the way they figure filter out you saying, we need to go, please get your shoes on. So it's, it, she's in this situation with them where she has to talk loudly to motivate them to do anything because otherwise they won't. But now they're filtering that out and they won't even listen to her there. So now it's like, Danny, can you just get them to get ready, please? Cause they don't hear me anymore. Well, they don't hear you because you're yelling. Well, they didn't hear me unless I yell, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's that because now with mm-hmm. two of them, they encourage each other and they, the MJ is old enough to play with cash now. And he understands that she, you know, the, he knows just how to get her to a certain point that he wants to get her to. So they can have that where they're literally tearing through the house, running, chasing, laughing, screaming, bumping, people getting hurt. That happens a lot now because they're old enough to do that with each other and getting them to like calm down. And then, you know, you think you finally get them calm. They're both sitting there and like, you know, she's t- trying to put her shoes on and he's like, oh, you put that shoe on the wrong foot. When she didn't, and he knows that, you know, that kind of thing. Like, why are you doing that? We're trying to leave to go to a place you guys want to go. Well, you know, right. And then and it just this antagonizing of each other and they love each other, but this is just what they do. It's, I don't know if there's an answer, but it's, you know, it, you just get to that point of frustration and then you see the different response that like, I can go to him and say, listen, it's time for bed. We need to go upstairs now. Okay. And okay. Dad. And he'll go upstairs. Like, but but, the, but she know, the, can the, be there saying you need to go upstairs please go upstairs why aren't you listening and i can say please go upstairs and he'll do it that's 50 percent of the time the other 50 percent, they won't listen to me and it, it it's tough to figure out mm-hmm. well i mean my, my gut tells me that you're getting that response just because they haven't become as a nerd to your yelling as hers yeah that you know that might work a couple times but See, well, the other part of it though, is that there's, there's, there's so many differences to what kids can like grok at a certain age. And there's certain kinds of abstractions that are very sensible to us that are not sensible to them. One one that I've struggled with for a long time. And again, a a struggle I, I have and have historically had is being good about time and understanding the dependencies of time and trying to understand that, you know, in my case, like there's these three things that we're going to go do right now. Um, you know, the, the main reason we're going out, we got to go to the ATM, we got to go to Walgreens, uh, we got to drop off our library books and we can stop by the playground. Well, what she mostly heard was go to the playground right? and, and, and maybe library if she's into it, but that's mainly it's a blah, blah, ginger situation where she's going to mostly hear that we're going to the playground, not understanding that the whole, re- I, I want her to come along with me cause I want her to get used to the idea of having to do stuff. 
you know, and then having some fun along the way. But, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that we can both learn from that. Well, first of all, like, so then what happens? We go out and what happens historically is that now we, we take so long to get out of the house that now all we really have time to do is go to the ATM and Walgreens. We can only have, we don't have time to go by the library, let alone the playground and then the tears. But that's a really abstract concept to a little kid. I mean, setting aside that, yeah, okay, maybe that's real self-centered. Well, a kid's self-centered. That's what they are. And that's what they have the, the developmental ability at that age to understand is that here's the fun thing I get to do. And so the thing is, if I scream and yell about that, I don't think that's going to make it better. What that teaches me is that maybe I don't, I shouldn't include the promise of the playground. Just say this is a thing that we're going to do. We'll work that in if there's time. But, you know, at that point, I've, in some ways, whether it's fair or not, I've lost credibility because now I'm not going to the playground. And, and if that's something that she can't process in an abstract way, then I'm just being a meanie and I, I lose credibility emotionally too. So, you know, I, I'm trying to, I, I'm not great at this. Uh, I'm not even good at it, but yeah. I'm trying to get better at realizing what I could have done differently earlier rather than thinking you're being obdurate about not wanting to do this. Like, like uh, that makes it about me. That makes it about my emotions and my frustrations instead of saying, well, what could I have done differently here? Because, yeah, have you noticed that where you say things like, you know, we're, this is a fun thing. You, you wanted to go to this. What is wrong with you? Why are we not doing this? Well, maybe they're having fun at home right now. And the abstract fun of that, I mean, that's what they're focused on. But I think it's very difficult for a kid of our kids' ages to understand that abstraction, that it's kind of their fault that we didn't go. You know what yeah, I mean? And, and, Which and, then kind of makes it our fault because we didn't manage it well. Right. And like, uh, or, you know, driving, getting my kid, because we talked about tardiness and getting him late to school or something. And it's like, sometimes he just, he won't brush his teeth. He won't put on his shoes, that kind of stuff. And like, that takes 10 minutes to get all that to happen. That's not 10 minutes that we allotted for. And then you like, you get there and you're a little late. It, it really stinks because like, that's not his fault. That's mine. You know, it's really is my fault. I know. I know. I, I know. And, and there's something that I, th I thought I would try to be a smart person that I think it's so like when I, I remember being older than her, but I remember things like, well, let's get going. Um, if we leave the house by this time and the traffic's OK, we'll be able to do this fun thing in addition. So you can kind of dangle this thing as a, you know, there's a dependency to us getting out. The main reason we're going is doing this. I remember being at a certain age and saying, hey, if we get out of the house early enough, we can go get a donut before school. Well, that really motivated me at a certain point because I did understand. I knew that the bell would ring and if the bell rang after, you know, um, before we had arrived that we were late and that's a problem. I was old enough to, to handle all of those abstractions. Honestly, I don't think that works at the age my kid is. And I think it's actually kind of, I suspect that it might be a little dangerous to, to start trying to reward good behavior in that particular way. Just because if they're, you know, the thing is a little kid doesn't think like we do. And that, that's so important to remember that she's not actually insane. It's not that she like doesn't, I mean, she knows she has to wear socks. Maybe she doesn't want to wear socks. Maybe she's just in a bad mood right now. But like, I, I think the problem becomes, and I don't think this is just me wanting to be loved. I think, I think it's something though, where I do lose credibility when we don't do what I said we were going to do. That is on me. And so I feel like there's things like, there's certain little like, this is way too personal probably. There's all kinds of things we've, I've kind of introduced to the house. Like we never, the t, it, when crying starts, the TV goes off. We, there's no crying during TV, for example. We don't, we don't offer food and entertainment to make you feel better, which has been hard for me. 
Because sometimes you can shock a kid out of a bad mood by buying them a toy. And I, I stopped doing that because I feel like maybe this is the influence of John Roderick, but I really feel like she, like any kid, has to learn to sit with disappointment sometimes and find a way that they will find a way out of it. And I kind of feel like I, you, you rob a kid of that opportunity to learn how to deal with that by always trying to be there to give them something to jerk them out of a bad emotion. So that's the balance for me, though, is trying to figure... This is so boring. I'm sorry. But th- no, that's the balance not, for me is trying boring. to figure out... Well, I, you know, I want, us, I want us all to be feeling better, but I also understand that that's not so different than buying her a drink in some ways. Like, if I just, if, if, if I just try and, like, intoxicate her with toys, then she's never going to have the opportunity to try to figure out how to get out of that situation and how to, like, you know... The, the thing is, you can't always... A kid, a kid can't always be happy. A kid can't always be, you know... There are times when, like, the best days where there there have been things like toys and TV and playground and all everything. It's all everything's coming up Millhouse all day long. <laughs> have you ever noticed that birthdays always end in tears? Like the best days, Disney yeah, World days, always end in tears. Why is that? Because it's been such a great. It's a great day all day. Everything's gone your way, and now suddenly you fall back to earth, and there's a big bed full of Duca waiting for you back in the hotel room, mm. and now you're back to having to do stuff like brush your teeth. But it's been such a fun day. So that's the. I think it is that a balance. Explains it. That really does explain it. Which part? What you just said the, about the, it. The always, always, yeah. It's like a sugar crash. Yeah, totally. Literally. <laughs> Literally in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it is kind of related to the world of work, though, <clears throat> yeah. in, in a really wonky way. Yeah, no, just by, like, by what you see being okay all the time. I mean, and there's an example of what could approach the hypocrisy, though, which is that when, again, when somebody acts like they're really great at something, and demands everybody do it the way they do, even though they're not great at it. Well, when is it ever okay to say to that person, well, the behavior that you're modeling is not only not the behavior that you claim to be modeling, but like it, even if it did, it wouldn't be great. Like ha- having us expect to respond to emails all the time, for example, yeah. is that something we really want to do here? Because you actually, you think you do that, but you don't really do that. You send a lot of emails, but you don't respond to a lot of emails. And then more saliently, you're not doing stuff about those emails in a way that lines up with the expectations that you have of us. And so that that hurts your credibility and it, it makes you look like kind of a tool, you know? Well, it's, you know, it's so frustrating though. Mm. It's so frustrating because this is a problem. I think, I know you keep, you keep saying, is, is this relevant? I think it's incredibly relevant because I think this is a problem that, I do too. I that do everybody too, has, honestly. even if they don't have kids, it, it, there are still so many points that people I think can connect with this. And it, we're certainly not really being very good salesmen for having kids. But I think these are just the kind of problems that you wind up facing across the board eventually. And eventually most people do have kids. Well, yeah. And I mean, especially with the culture that we have today, it's uh, less and less difficult to be able to insulate yourself from other people behaving in any way that isn't what you expect or desire. I th- I have to think that, you know, it used to be that the behavior that a lot of us have from day to day um, if you took out the fact that there was a blue screen in their house, they would basically seem like a shut-in. Right. Um, if, if most of your interaction with the world is by keeping people at the remove that makes you happy and speaking to them in the way that makes you feel empowered, if, that's, if, that, if you really think about that for a minute, you may be interacting a lot with people, but you're not sort of compelled to be in a room with your family like people were a century ago. You're not compelled to find things out like, well, somebody's, you know, Aunt Jean is pregnant, and so your cousins are going to sleep in your bed with you for a, a month. I don't, think, I don't know if that happens as much as it used to, where you're sort of just forced to have to deal with other people. And 
and you know whether you're like a successful twenty something guy with well organized cables or you're somebody who's you know trying to raise a kid who's not a monster i I think it can be sometimes very surprising how much stuff you think you control or understand is much more heavily affected by the people who are around you. And it really forces you to have to think differently about how you behave. Maybe the way that you think the world works is not the way that it works. And that cognitive dissonance is extremely painful. And we very rarely stop to say, I wonder if there's something I could be doing something. I wonder if there's something I could be doing different here. I would love it if everybody behaved the way I think I behave. But the truth is they don't. They're going to behave the way they behave. And maybe there's you know, something short of tricking them that would allow you guys to get along and it would, allow, it would require you to move outside of your own world, of your own expectations and desires and the things that make you happy for a little while. And that's not fun, but we all have to do that eventually unless we die a shut in with a blue screen. Wow. Isn't that inspiring? That's really inspiring me. Mm. <sighs> not good salesman, Dan. Yeah, I know. You could be a squeegee racket. salesman. I bet you could move a lot of your oh, no, stuff racket. I could, I could. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's button this up. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. <laughs>